This first piece is called Sat on the Pier Colouring with Nan. They serve all types of tea at the Pier Cafe. I pick a simple Earl Grey, but Nan, feeling adventurous, chooses a green dragon tea. Not sure if I like it, she says. We sit indoors and look at the wooden slats and wrought iron railings reaching out to sea. Nan's memory leaks from table to floor, drip-dropping with the rain. Have I paid? she asks. Yes, Nan. Her canvas is propped up on a sugar pot. Purple felt tip poised like a paintbrush in her hand. She's thinking about the next stroke, and I love that this is what she remembers. The pen on canvas rasps back and forth, back and forth, as she gifts an owl with apple green eyes and purple feathers. Sometimes she tells me the story of how she and Grampy met. Sometimes recalling her breakfast is too much. I watch as her wrinkled face scrunches up. Her hand rubs across her forehead, the magic lamp to wish her memories back. Too often, they're lost like smoke in air. Have I paid? She asks. Yes, Nan. This next piece is called Wolf. When they cut my father open, they found us huddled in the darkest corner. Of course, my mother was lodged in the tightest. We pulled her gently, once a year, till she fell out dripping the same red that first intrigued the wolf. She's tried washing them away, but her bruises are stubborn, dormant stains beneath the skin. I wonder what stories our tracks might have told had her mother not been lured a wolf's length away from the path. And why red must always be told as a lustful colour when we're all born slick with red innocence. Now we each have a piece of him inside of us. My sister picks out pointed teeth from her arms. She strings them on a necklace that will forever scrape at her chest. My brother hacks up hairballs in secret. And the piece that resides in me, I try writing it out as if outstretched fingers, loops and curls of ink and guttural consonants were ever magic enough to purge an unwanted inheritance. Uh, this last piece is called And We Are Trees. We are women of wilderness, finding power in cup and pen. Remember the tearful songs of your mother, your grandmother, and join me. We will sit together in obnoxious splendour. Listen as our backs break. Wear your whalebone scars and hoist the burden high above your head. Whisper a prayer for our sisters, tongues torn out. Ones that stitch love into collars. Ones gifted with hell for healing. Ones waiting in a basement or at a border. Ones crimed. One's melancholied, one's maimed. Don't forget the woven sisters, self-made and scooped free. Men reject our worn-out worries. Be craft, be consequence, they say. But that is a thing unnatural. And we are trees, tall but bending. 
an unspoken sisterhood of bracken and broken bone. We invite you. See our saucepan of soup or spell, lick the ladle clean since you mistake our gift as giving. And we will give. The poison. The purpose. The peace. Hi, I am Shikafta K. Iqbal and this is Kyoto Lab. That was the stunning work of Hanan Isa, who is a Welsh Iraqi poet and writer based in Cardiff. She's been featured on both ITV Wales and BBC Wales and worked in partnership with National Wales Museum. She's also performed at Swansea Fringe Festival, Stanza Festival, Wales Art Review and worked with Seven Books. Her work has been published in Banat Collective, Hedgehog Press, Wales Art Review, Sagoon Magazine, Lumen Journal, Poetry Wales, Sisterhood Magazine and MuslimGirl.com. Her winning monologue was featured at Bush Theatre's Hijabi Monologues and she's the co-founder of Wales' first BAME open mic series, Where I'm Coming From. If you haven't had a chance to go and visit their events, please do after lockdown. She was the 2018-2019 Hay Festival Writer at Work and her debut poetry pamphlet, My Body Can House Two Hearts, is absolutely stunning, which was published by Burning Eye Books. She is the recipient of the 2020 Folio BBC Wales Short Film Commission, an incredible all-rounded artist there. Next up, we are joined by Berta Martin, who is one of the inspirations behind wanting to set up a space like Kyoto. He is the founder of Bristol Black Writers Group and Berta Martin has been active in Bristol's writing scene for over 25 years as a writer, as a performer and a producer promoting Caribbean and African writers in Yardstick and with the British Council. He's a co-founder of Word of Mouth, which you probably know as Blah Blah Blah, at Bristol Old Vic, and he's a former director of Plymouth International Book Festival and director of City Chameleon, a publishing company specialising in poetry and short stories. Berta has been published in a number of anthologies, and his performance highlights include performing with Lee Evans, Benjamin Zephaniah, Attila Stockbroker, and Jean Binter Breeze. What a lineup! <laughs> Currently, Berta is on the board of directors of Bristol Short Story Prize and the board of trustees of the Tobacco Factory. And in between all of this, he is also finding time or trying to find time for his own writing project. And here we will be joined by Berta, who will explain a little bit more about his writing project and his work um, and sharing some of his poetry with us. One of the things that interests me in my work is around people's perceptions of you. And it's not just people who dislike black people, but also people who think they have friends who are black people as well, how sometimes you need to challenge them on how they use their language as well. It's untitled. Before the fight, they thought I was a nigger, a coon, a jungle bunny. I thought I was Bert. After the fight, they thought I was urban, had a bit of a suntan, a darkie. I thought I was Bert. Nothing had changed. One of the 
ways people exchange culture and experiences is through music and every generation has a genre of music or genres of music which bring different influences from different cultures and changes people's perceptions. This poem's called When Dub Was New. When dub was new to you, you looked at me differently. This wasn't the bikini on the beach smiling reggae you were used to. It wasn't a punky reggae subculture party. It was a revolution, as old as civilization, as new as your Doc Martins. It was a revolution of love, resisting the downpression to free people from Babylon. When Scar was new to you, I looked at you differently. My dad's got this one, I said. Wow, your dad is cool. The revolution was one step beyond us. When I first went to grammar school, people used to like to touch my hair. And this is a poem about how I used to respond. It's called Touch My Head. Touch my head, you're dead. No more need be said. I don't know about Africa, how it relates to me. I don't know about Egypt and my history. I don't know about plantations and slavery. I don't know about the struggle to be free. I don't know what's been taken from me. But I do know what's left. My dignity. One thing more need be said. Touch my head. You're dead. This poem's about leaving the city to go into the countryside just to get a fresh perspective on life. It's called Sunset. Sunsets glowing wildly over the shore. The evening song of seabirds sails on the chill wind, bringing life to his face. The smell of isolation wafting onto the shore brings back the sensation of broken dreams. The smell of isolation wafting onto the shore brings back the sour taste of harsher times. The evening song of seabirds lifts his face towards the sky. He watches their fearless flight. Flying gives their every action, grace, vitality, joy. Watching them in the air, mating, playing, fighting, makes him aware of his breath his heartbeat. He smiles as he watches them, taking pleasure in eating, snatching snacks thrown up into the air, or as they swoop down on morsels that catch their eye. He watches as they marvel at the wasteful trawlers, as they pick their way among what these labours of the sea have rejected. He realises they are feasting, not scavenging, as the sun sets glowing wildly over the shore, the birds fly, chasing the sun. The smell of isolation wafting onto the shore brings back memories of the city, where birds eat on the pavement, fighting for crumbs, their horizon restricted.
to the other side of the street. This next poem is just a simple description. It's called A Slice of Life. Nine used jurexes on the wasteland by the dead river bring no metaphor to mind just the smile of my young neighbour as we say polite hellos on the street. One of the unconsidered impacts of migration is the separation of the generations of the young children born here and their grandparents, elder, grand, elder parents and so on. And I only saw my grandmother twice in all the time I was growing up and this is a poem about the first time I saw her. I called it Grandmother. Chameleon on the limb of the Aki tree, rock still, tree brown, eyes absorbing everything, the stone veranda, wooden shops, gravel garden, ancient grandmother, young grandson, read into grandmother in best English voice. Grandmother says how proud she is of her grandson who reads in posh English. Chameleon on the limb of the Yaki tree absorbs all this. Chameleon, not hiding, blending in. Only the eyes show it's a chameleon. Now, walking along the city road, my grandmother's smile is fading, but the chameleon on the limb, blending in, still brings back the heat and scent of Jamaica, my grandmother's home. I was on a train travelling to Manchester once and I saw this old couple sat in front of me and I made this up about them. It's called The Break. She watches the changes on the train. Motionless on a speeding train, she sees it all. High-rise blocks, council estates, new offices, the heart of the city, the suburban sprawl, fading slowly into green. Old rural life, colonised by new business developments, the dried bones of old industry. All this she sees while her husband sleeps. For him, travel is a means of getting from here to there. Changes in the scenery lost its magic years ago. Cultural, social and personal differences can play themselves out in many different ways in a relationship. And this is just called Tino Sympathy and it's based on some of those differences. T. No Sympathy I wanted to save the cups for special occasions. You said we should use them all with the rest. I argued strongly, saying how we had nothing special when people came round. You said, a cup is a cup, use it till it breaks.
Hi, hello, Bertel. How are you? I'm good, Shigurta. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> How is life treating you during lockdown? Oh, it's been really manic more than anything. It's been, you know, I think everyone was saying about how, you know, now's the time to create your great masterpiece and so on. And then they forget, well, you've still got to get food in, you've still got to do this, you've still got to do that, you know, fix that re leaking roof and so on. So it's been a bit manic, but yeah, we, we're coming through it okay. I think so. I'm so glad that you were here with us at um, being able to share some of your work because Kyoto was set up in response to the fact that once upon a time uh, you set up the Bristol Black Writers and that made such a huge impact on my writing as an artist, as a young person thinking, do I have a space in creativity in Bristol? Um, and then once that kind of came to an end, I kind of was like, that's such, such a huge piece of my life that's missing um, and decided to set up Kyoto. Could you tell us a little bit about Bristol Black Writers and your role? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, my role, I was one of the original founders of Bristol Black Writers. It came out of, then it was called Inquirks, it's now called Kumba. But the director there, Alfredo, he got funding so that four, write, four writers from Bristol could go on one of the Ireland Black Writers workshops and we all went to it and none of us knew each other at the time so literally Lumbank just outside Manchester that's where four black writers from Bristol first heard another person go hi I'm a writer I'm from Bristol and it's like you're from Bristol I'm from Bristol Oh, and so we actually had that connection and it was a fantastic week there. And then we came back and again, Alfredo went, it's okay, so you're all right, you all know each other, what are you going to do now? And we went, oh, well, just suppose we better carry on meeting. And I've been involved with Bristol Broadsides before that. And I can remember if I was chair of Bristol Broadsides at the time, but I had sort of more experience of sort of workshops and so on. So I suggested how we meet up. And it really did just become a support network. Finally, we managed to get, rather than meeting in each other's home, and I'd say this to any network, what really helped us was finding a base at Kwumba because then what it meant was that we always wanted to be inclusive of other writers, but when you're at each other's homes and so on, it can get a bit awkward and intimidating. But once we had a base, which was a public space, then it actually helped us to blossom and grow. And so many writers have been through the group since then. Yeah. And we did help each other with our writing. We, I think it inspired to see Black voices with so many different ways of expressing themselves. But I think what also helped as well was just all the discussions and so on, because I think sometimes people can feel that there is just one way to be Black. And in fact, actually respecting and reflecting the diversity of what it meant to be black and the experience of being black through whether that's through growing up in foster care growing up through middle class growing up through with parents who had aspirations or overcoming parents who had struggled with surviving in this country and so on it was that diversity and being able to share that diversity which really helped with the impact of it all Mm, yeah, and, and I think at, in that time we were using black in its political 
sort of That's political right, activity. Yeah. I remember yeah. I attended a few other South Asians yeah. as well. And I do remember it was just such an important part of my creative journey. Tell us a little bit about your own writing practice um, and your relationship with writing, if you're still currently writing or yeah. where you are with yeah. that. Oh, yeah, my own writing practice, again, it started out in poetry. One, I've always kind of been writing poetry, even in primary school and in secondary school, just doing little bits. But also just because in some ways, it's the most convenient one to do. I can't sing, can't play any musical instruments. If you've got a pencil and a notebook in your back pocket, you can do it anywhere and so on as it comes to you. And so I suppose it was all just private writing and so on. Then I went to the first groups I went to were with Bristol Broadside. And again, they had writing groups all over Bristol and they classed themselves as worker writers and community publishers. And so it was very much around people who didn't come from the universe, traditional ways of writing. It was about working, working class writing, but again, it had a very broad spectrum of what it classed as working class writing. And yeah, I developed my poetry through there. I was very much in the early days writing just personal experiences, usual thing, bits of anger, bits of all this, you know, and then you'd sit in the workshops and I think that's where you started to learn respect because you weren't there just to read your own work, to listen to other people's work as well. And I remember I sat there once and someone wrote this poem about the countryside. I thought, oh, God, I've got no interest in the countryside. And she read it and I thought, oh, well, I've got to give this person respect. So I listened to it and I got into it. And she went, yeah, but the countryside's wonderful, all the colours. And she actually did change my perspective on the countryside so again I got stuff out of the groups from there then when Bristol Black Writers formed we carried on meeting we started performing and teachers would approach us afterwards and go oh it'd be really great if you could come in to do workshops in school so I helped get funding in schools we started doing more performances people saw me at performances with Bristol Black Writers group started to ask me to do other performances and it kind of took off and poetry was there for a long time Underneath it all, I was writing a few short stories and a few other little bits of writing. And then I kind of stepped back because the other thing I'd realised was that they're coming through broadsides, coming through Bristol Black Writers, a lot of my arts practice has also been community-based in a way, or community development, working with people who don't normally have access to the arts. And it became increasingly clear that even though there was a lot of need for it there weren't many people who could organize manage and produce the events and raise the funding to make things happen to create the access for people so I kind of stood back and initially just on a sort of voluntary basis just sort of did it and picked up skills working in offices and so on so I could do all that admin side until I ended up actually working in the arts first of all at Bristol Old Vic in the arts to do their sort of education department, then working at Quimba, first as basically a CAF officer, which was developing a black network, then becoming arts manager at Quimba. So I was still able to support the arts, but actually then it moved broader as well. And my arts practice kind of took a step back in that period, just because it was then more important to actually keep things going and leaving 
Kumba. I then set up a publishing company, City Chameleon. And again, focusing on publishing books and so on and did that for a while, which also made me realize that there was a, a, other whole level of business skills related as well as project management skills and admin skills. There's a whole commercial side of developing attitudes as well, which was needed. And then after that, I moved on to, I moved, still be living in Bristol, but then working in Plymouth where for five years, six, five, yeah, five years, I organized the Plymouth International Book Festival. So it's organizing basic literature festival, which covered poetry, nonfiction, novel writing, films, music, and literally links. All the while just sort of like scribbling little bits in the background and then came back to Bristol and was exhausted. So stayed away from the arts for a while and just slowly coming back into it now. So now I'm doing more. My first love has always been sort of comics and science fiction and so on. And so now I'm just doing little bits more writing in that genre. Oh, exciting. It's very difficult, you're right, to get the balance between when you are a cultural producer and an artist, because sometimes one ends up taking over uh, and the other one and your, your work ends up taking a back seat. And I think something I can see you've done quite successfully, actually, in your own career with, with being able to write, but also hold spaces for other people to come through. Um, and that's quite a unique talent and skill. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think a yeah, lot I'm not too sure I've always... Yeah. Oh, thanks. I'm not too sure I've always got the balance right. But I yeah. think because also for the Arts Council for a while as freelance, I used to mentor artists and so on. And I think sometimes a lot of it really boils down to just, for me, just one simple phrase. You know, it's about having choices. If you, if you don't have any choices, you haven't really got a career. It's when you have choices and you can actually, and you make conscious choices, that's when you know you've got a career. And the other thing I used to say is, you know, I think quite a few people say, say it now, you know you're successful, not by what you say yes to, but by when you can say no to things, that's when you know you're getting more successful. <laughs> that's true. So tell us a little bit about the work that you'll be going to, what you were sharing with us and our audiences on the podcast. Yeah, well, the work would be a few poems because whether I've been writing poetry or short stories, one of the things I've always been interested in is people's perceptions and sometimes how those perceptions are right, sometimes how those perceptions are wrong, but also then how it's reflected in language. And the poems I'd like to read are really around my childhood growing up. And again, I went to... Cotton Grammar School, and there at the time I went there, there weren't many black people. In my year, there was like six, four out of 120 in my year group in the whole school, which was around a thousand at that time. There were six, seven black people in the whole school, and so it was quite a different school then. A lot of the pupils at that time came from Clifton, Westbury-on-Trim, Stoke Bishop and so on. And so the poems really look at language and how one thing I've always been interested in isn't so much around 
out and out racism, but it's more around the subtle racism. And sometimes it's the challenges you have with friends around language and perceptions and so on. So the poems I'd like to read are really just reflecting that and how there are subtleties in languages, not just, not just in racism, but also just in friendships as well. Who inspires you? So when you are writing yourself, who did you turn to other people or are there poets or writers who you think mm. are telling really interesting stories that you would like to in some shape or form kind of reflect or echo in your own yeah. work? Yeah, well, it sounds, it sounds a bit cheesy now, but I still think it's true. When, when I used to do workshops in school and they say, ask me who's my favourite poet, poet, I would always say my favourite poet doesn't write poetry because I've always been a big fan of James Baldwin and I think his novels have a lyricism and a sense of rhythm and a sense of ima imagination and metaphor and, you know, everything a poet could want. <laughs> I think sometimes it, some of James Baldwin's work, you just find it there and you just get carried along with it really easily. So I find his work really inspiring. And science fiction wise, there's an African-American writer, Octavia Butler, who's now just starting to get a lot of recognition and so on. And some of her work is just really, really fascinating. I mean, sometimes you can read the author's, author, the writer's sort of description of their work afterwards. I mean, I read one, short novel of hers once and it was like this is a metaphor for slavery isn't it and you read what she wrote afterwards and she went many people think this around my work but it's not I was really wrote this because I was in the Amazon jungle and there was these insects there and they really bugged me and I got fascinated by them and the story's real <laughs> but there's just so much else you can read in it and she's read written some other works Seed and Harvest as well which definitely looks, it kind of deals with a kind of Newton X-Men thing, but it definitely looks at the whole slave breeding and genetic superiority thing as well within all of that, which I found really fascinating and handled really well. And it makes, as it's making all of that, it also kind of makes a distinction between real evil and cruelty and people acting out of pain and so on as well, which is, you know, and just people being vicious because that's all they've known in their life, as opposed to when you come across something which is really evil and it's evil at its core and it has no sense of redemption in it. And I think that's also quite mm. a vital distinction to make with in writing and some characters as well. Yes. Oh, I think I absolutely agree. They, those are, both brilliant writers um, and I think sometimes you read their work and feel very overwhelmed by their greatness and think oh can I can I, can I be a writer <laughs> when this kind of level of writing exists yeah. in the world yeah. thank you so much Britta for your time and sharing your work 
Um, I will say there are loads of other writers, yeah. and so thanks again. But, you know, um, I'm really pleased that we were able to um, have you here joining us, um, and I look forward to reading the comic once it's uh, launched officially into the oh, world. Yeah. It's very exciting. <laughs> I think my son's going to be very excited about this one. Um, so, yeah, I, again, thank you very much. Um, really enjoyed hearing your work enjoyed hearing your work throughout the course of like the many varieties of your work it's not just poetry it's plays it's you know you've really experimented with form um and yeah i'm i'm really honored that you were here with us and uh, um, thank you for setting up bristol black writers and really inspiring Kyoto. oh no and thanks for having me i've really enjoyed it thanks a lot lovely enjoy the rest of your day bye okay thanks a lot bye You've been listening to Shkufta K. Iqbal with Kyoto Lab and we had on the show today Bertal Martin and Hanan Issa. I'd like to say a big thank you to our writers with their incredible stories and performances to share with us. I'd also like to say a big thank you to you, our audiences, and hopefully we will see you on the other side of this lockdown. Enjoy your time for now. Bye.